We've got a stacked episode this week, so coming up on This Week in Linux, we're going to start things off with the latest release of Ubuntu 20.10 and the Ubuntu 20.10 flavor releases as well. Then we're going to jump into the ridiculous realm with a new product from System76 called the Thaleo Mega, and I'll explain why it's ridiculous in a good way, but it is kind of ridiculous. There's been some big news in the printing world related to the CUPS project for the Linux printing, and NVIDIA has announced that support for the Linux 5.9 kernel is not ready yet, so we'll talk about what that means and whether or not it will affect you. Later in the show, we're going to cover some more distro news from Triscoll with their 9.0 release, and System Rescue 7.0 is another recovery distro to check out That like we talked about last week. Then we'll round out the show with an update to the best browser on the planet with release of Firefox. Fox 82. All that and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Welcome to episode 122 of This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, a part of the Destination Linux network. I'm Michael Donnell, and if you're new to the show, this is a show that will keep you up to date with the latest going-ons in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Before we get started with this week, let's do some housekeeping and just want to remind you about the Destination Linux Network store or the dlnstore.com. Go there to check out all the cool stuff like hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, actually adding some more pretty soon, like more different types of things. And I even redesigned the entire store. So let me know what you think about the redesign and all the like, I kind of made it a little bit fancy and whatnot. So let me know what you think in the comments below. I'm very interested to see what you all think about the new version of the DLN store.com. Also follow me on Twitter or Mastodon. I post there both equally basically around the same time and it's to let you know about things related to the show, the channel, the network, just or just things that I happen to be doing or planning to do or whatever. It's just it's my personal Twitter and Mastodon and you can follow which whatever one you want. Whatever your preference is, whichever platform, they're pretty much the same in terms of how often I post to either one. So feel free to follow me on either. So yeah, let's get to the show. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about Ubuntu 20.10 has been released. Of course, we're going to talk about it. It's the biggest news of the week. So we're going to be talking about the latest release of Ubuntu and the Ubuntu flavors, though we're going to put the Ubuntu flavors in its own separate section so as to not like have just a giant episode of Ubuntu 20.10. So first of all, let's talk about the latest release has the is powered by the Linux 5.8 kernel. This will be relevant later in another topic, so we'll get to that then. Uh, but this is also the first release to use the NF tables instead of IP tables, which by the way, if you're not familiar, this is kind of like a firewall sort of structure, but not exactly. It's a little bit, it's it's kind of like too complicated to go into like super details, but it's a subsystem of the Linux kernel that provides like filtering and classification of network packets. And it also is like the, uh, it's a, a default backend for wire, firewall stuff and that kind of thing. It also provides support for like uh, Active Directory type of related things. And NF tables is a lot simpler to use than IP tables because IP tables is kind of a nightmare to the point where people who are experts in IP tables 
sometimes will admit that they don't really know how to use IP tables because of how crazy it is. And NF tables is a lot cleaner to do. So it's really nice that that, you know, that's happening in many distros. I'm not sure how many distros have adopted it, but it is quite a few. So that's cool. And also there's some other highlights like the Mesa 20.2 driver. There's also a big upgrade for the hardware support, which they do every six months. And also they backport the hardware support into the hardware enablement stack for the, the current LTS. And they also have updates to like the Rad V ACO uh, stuff for Mesa because Mesa 20.02 or not 20, 20.2 enables Rad V ACO by default for better performance for Linux gamers using Radeon cards from AMD, which is fantastic. This has GNOME 3.38 desktop environment. And we talked about GNOME 3.38 in a previous episode. I'll have that linked in the show notes and in the description. So you can check that out if you want to learn more about that particular release of GNOME. But in the quick highlight about that, they added this cool Wi-Fi hotspot thing where you can share your computer's Wi-Fi with a QR with a QR code. You just scan it from your phone and it will connect them. And it's very cool. Also, there's a lot of improvements to variety of stuff that's just Ubuntu in general, like the Microsoft uh, Active Directory support in the installer now. There's also been a restart option added to the status menu of the system which is very nice. Uh, Gnome has not had that for a long time, and it's been something a lot of people have been annoyed because you could log out and you could shut down, but you couldn't restart from that. So now you can, which is very nice because it skips a step that way. And also they've improved the fingerprint login support, better multi-monitor support, continued work on OpenZFS, and they also did something that is very nice. It's the better support and for, uh, for like, I think this is like the first full release that has desktop images for the Raspberry Pi 4. Now, the Raspberry Pi 4 desktop images are specifically for the 4 gig version. They do say that it technically should work on the 3 or the 2 gig versions, but they are not officially supporting anything but the 4 gig one. So if you do have a 4 gig one and you want to use Ubuntu on the Raspberry Pi 4, you totally can, which is very cool. This includes desktop and server images for the latest uh, Raspberry Pi, including the Compute Module 4 board. And this is uh, very interesting. And Mark Shuttleworth, from the CEO of Canonical, said about this, in this release, we celebrate the Raspberry Pi Foundation's commitment to put open computing in the hands of people all over the world. We are honored to support the initiative by optimizing Ubuntu on the Raspberry Pi. Whether for personal use, educational purposes, or as a foundation for their business venture, and this is really cool because I think the Raspberry Pi has already, you know, it's already set a stage where it's the go-to single, uh, you know, small single uh, system on a chip board that's available everywhere. Pretty much everybody knows who's into technology knows what Raspberry Pi is. And this is nice to see that they're putting support for it. And they also enabled support for USB and network boot with these, this release of 20.10. So that's very nice. And there's a bunch of other stuff. And if you want to learn all that, You'll have to check out the release notes that I'll have linked in the show notes below because otherwise this would just get an even longer segment. So yeah, let's move on to the next topic, which is the flavors. Up next in the show is the Ubuntu 20.10 flavors releases. There's quite a few of them. You're not familiar. The flavors are basically iterative official releases that are not controlled by Canonical, but they are kind of, uh, they're given permission to exist and they give infrastructure help from Canonical and Ubuntu infrastructure and that sort of stuff. So they're official respins of the Ubuntu platform. There are also non-official respins or remixes, but those that's a, a complicated topic. If you want to know what the difference between a flavor, a respin, and a remix, and a, a spin is, feel free to check out the description. I'll have a link to 
to a video that I explained what this stuff is. So, well, as best as possible, because there is a little bit of a, a nuance where it kind of gets a little muddy. Anyway, check out that video and you'll know more about what exactly a flavor is. So let's get started with the first flavor of Kubuntu. So Kubuntu 20.10 is built around KDE Plasma 5.19. And you may be aware that since the last episode, we talked about Plasma 5.20 was released. Why is the 5.20 not used in this particular release? Well, that's because it came out a week before this. And a week of testing is not enough for a distribution that's, you know, releasing something every six months. So they have to do a lot of testing. And uh, uh, that's just not a reasonable amount of time for a testing period to have like, you know, get a brand new thing. And they also did a bug release of 20 or 5.20.1, which came out just a couple of days ago. So yeah, that's why, because it just isn't practical for that to happen. But there are some cool things that are really nice about KDE Plasma in, in Kubuntu, like there's a lot of customizations that make Kubuntu one of the best options for KDE Plasma. It might, it might be a little bit out of date in terms of the, the version of Plasma, like I just said, but it also is a lot more polished and a lot better interface. And to me, that is more powerful than having the latest version because even with the latest version, there's a little bit left to be desired in terms of Plasma's polish. It's getting a lot better, including 5.20 does improve it a lot, but I think Kubuntu's approach is even better than that. So 5.19 is not really a hindrance in that sense, in my opinion. And they also have uh, improvements to the system tray applets now share a unified look. The audio player widget has been improved. Uh, new system monitor widgets have been added. They've updated from uh, KDE applications 20.08.1. Uh, latest versions of like all the different like big applications like LibreOffice, Firefox, and other core software and that sort of thing. So uh, definitely check out Kubuntu if you're interested in having a Plasma that is a really nice experience out of the box. I think Kubuntu is probably the best Plasma out of the box. And if you haven't tried it, you haven't tried Plasma in a long time and you want to get, you know, a nice first default experience, then, well, okay, it's not really the default, Plasma default. It's a Kubuntu default. That's just a good default. So anyway, you know what I'm saying? Check out Kubuntu 20.10. Also, we have Ubuntu Budgie 20.10. There's a new default app menu, and this now is able to show uh, actions like logout, restart, etc. It also has GNOME settings options for display, power, and stuff like that. A bunch of optional applets and add-ons and themes are available and include stuff like experimental full-screen app launcher called Lightpad, which is very nice. A Mac OS-style desktop layout is also available for uh, testing out, and a lot of other stuff. If you're interested in checking out a really nice version of Ubuntu, like another flavor. Uh, Ubuntu Budgie is a really cool one. And I do think that Budgie is a nice, and Ubuntu Budgie specifically is a very nice layout of Budgie. It makes it a lot easier to get started with uh, a Budgie in my opinion. And it also is a nice, it's a nice clean default, but it doesn't have a lot of configurations options. So if you're really into customization, Budgie might not be the best option for you. But I do think that it's a very solid option just out of the box. So there you go. And also Zubuntu has a new release of 20.10. Now, not much has changed in this particular release. Zubuntu is based on XFCE and XFCE 4.16 has not been released yet. So there's no way to uh, update, update the core desktop outside of bug fixes and minor tweaks and stuff like that. So they have done the improvements for the bug fixes and those things and they've updated software. But in terms of like the actual XFCE, they couldn't you know, update it because it hasn't been released yet. So Zubuntu 20.10 is mostly not changed, 
But a lot of people who are fans of XFCE actually love that about XFCE, so there you go. The next one we're going to talk about is Ubuntu Chilin. Probably pronounced that wrong, but there you go. This is a Chinese language spin of Ubuntu, and this version, the version of uh, Ubuntu Chilin has UK UI 3.0. This is a new version of their Qt-based desktop, and I have to say, it is a very nice-looking DE. Like, honestly, it is one of the top three, maybe, best-looking DEs. If you haven't seen it, there's some video. I'll, show, I'll have a link to a video that demonstrates it from their uh, like promo trailer video, I guess, that shows like the way that UKUI works. And if you could have this in other distros and that sort of stuff to kind of make it possible to, you know, put it in Fedora or Arch or whatever, I think that'd be really awesome. And hopefully they'll be considered doing that. But I think UKUI has a lot of potential because it looks very solid. And it looks pretty smooth too. So it's it's a it's an interesting thing because it's a fork of Mate based desktop, but also it uses Qt based things. So it has like Kwin in, installed in it and that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting because it originally was just a it was just a Mate fork, and then it kind of has a mix between GTK and Qt. So you know that's just interesting in general. It also has improvements to like uh, new notifiers, notification center, resizable taskbar, new app menu, uh, new featured file manager, and a bunch of other stuff. So check that out if you're interested in, and especially if you speak Chinese. I do not, so I have no ability to use this thing because I don't know what it says most of the time. Uh, but the UK UI desktop environment does look really nice. And now let's move on to Ubuntu Mate 20.10. This is the uh, Mate. This has the recent Mate desktop of 1.24.1, and also it'll be this version of Mate will be backported into Ubuntu Mate 2004, which is pretty cool. Uh, they also switched uh, to Ayatana indicators instead of the Ubuntu indicators that they were using. However, the Ayatana indicators are a fork of Ubuntu indicators that aim to be uh, more cross-distro compatible or like a more agnostic style of indicators and reusable on any desktop environment, which is very nice. The indicators were developed by Canonical so uh, some years ago, initially for the GNOME 2 implementation of Ubuntu. And now this is kind of like making it more modernized approach by making this fork. So that's very cool. And there's also a new webcam app to replace the GTK-based Cheese, which is nice because Cheese has been around for a long time and it's great to have that longevity, but also it hasn't been updated in that, that much, you know? So really nice to see that being uh, updated as well. Or I guess in this case, replaced with a newer modern version. So very much uh, if you want to check out Ubuntu Mate 20.10, I have links for that in the show notes as well. And we got two more. Let's talk about Lubuntu 20.10. This is featuring the latest uh, LXQt 0.15 desktop. Uh, just a quick tip to LXQt. It's okay to go to 1.0 at some point. Feel free to do that anytime. Um, update notifier now includes a tree view that sees the pending updates better, now checks for updates on a daily basis, and has updated the Plymouth theme for the booting system. And uh, Lubuntu is a very nice... Uh, lightweight distribution that has a modern style because it does have LXQt, which it used to have LXDE, which is even lighter, but that's actually kind of a dead DE. And LXQt is still very impressively uh, lightweight while also being quite modern in terms of using the Qt desktop uh, toolkit and that sort of stuff. So very nice. And the next one is Ubuntu Studio 20.10. 
So this one is really interesting because they have made a ton of changes. Ubuntu Studio used to be one where it would people would be like, does that still exist? And now this one is like, oh, now this is very interesting because in this latest release, they have replaced the desktop that they were using, which was XFCE. They're now using the Plasma desktop and it's a customized, modernized version. Well, not modernized, but it's a modified version of uh, the Plasma desktop that is a nice... Um, you know, unique style of doing it. And they also have a collaboration with Kubuntu. So essentially they took the cool stuff about Kubuntu, then they modified it to the way they want it to be. And, you know, basically gives you that version of the Plasma desktop. So it's not like they, they're, they're different experiences, but they are both quite good. So feel free to check that out. But the main thing about Ubuntu Studio is that it has built-in jack support. It has a built-in like uh, audio video customizations. The kernel's actually optimized for that kind of stuff and all sorts of stuff. It's just very interesting. If you want to do any kind of content creation or you want to just be able to try out jack without a giant headache, then this might be an option for you because jack is a audio construction toolkit and it is a very really it's a really cool thing that is kind of a replacement for pulse audio you can sort of use them together at the same time too but the difference is jack is very very powerful and also really complicated to get started with like a lot but with ubuntu studio it makes it a lot easier that and that's very awesome in addition to that ubuntu studio also uh, kind of spun off their ubuntu studio controls into a new project called studio controls which is being put into uh, fedora jam for example which is really nice to see so potentially the same stuff that you can get with ubuntu studio could at some point be in fedora jam which is fantastic and they've also decided to switch their installer to calamares and that is really interesting because the way instead of using the Ubiquity installer, they're using the Calamari's installer, which is the universal installer that Blue Systems makes and that sort of stuff. So it's very interesting that they're doing that. And if you want to learn more about this, in addition to the release notes for Ubuntu Studio 20.10, we also got a great article on FrontPageLinux.com written by Mauro Gaspari about... Uh, his opinion about the article says it's titled Ubuntu Studio 20.10 is it the perfect Linux distro and if you you can decide for that for yourself but check it out and check out his uh his article about this because I think he makes a good point about why you might want to consider it and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well as uh, of course also with the show notes link will have links to everything else that I've talked about in the flavors as well so feel free to check the show notes This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean DigitalOcean recently announced their new App Platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for many languages, including Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Docker, and static sites. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this platform on the top of the DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so that you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Better yet, you can get started better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN. So get started on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to join the ridiculous realm. And that is there's a new 
quad GPU workstation from System76, and they say it's the world's smallest quad GPU workstation, in fact, and it's called the Thaleo Mega. And I know, I'm not sure if you actually have to say it that way, but that's the way I feel like it should be said, and that's why I'm saying it that way. So anyway, moving on. Thaleo Mega is our Le Mans hypercar, as expressed by Carl Richel of the System76 company. He's the CEO, and he also says, we've put all of the most advanced engineering and technology into the Mega with stunning results that perform well beyond industry standard quad GPU systems. It's compact, quiet, exceptionally performant, and strikingly beautiful. It's It's got a new state-of-the-art thermal system, in fact. Uh, this is uh, You can check out the article I wrote on Front Page Linux. This is an article about the latest uh, a product for the Thaleo Omega. I'm sorry, the Thaleo Omega. It has to be. It has to be done. And this has a lot of cool stuff because the thermal system is really interesting because they created this system that has a, a d separation between the GPU and the CPU, so the air doesn't mix together and that to keep it cooler and also like ridiculously powerful because there are four GPUs in this machine. That is why it's ridiculous. It's awesome, but like why? Well, because you can. And fair enough. There you go. And it has intake fans on the bottom and side panels. And it also has one that's specifically for the CPU. And they do it. They do this thing to avoid uh, thermal throttling and that kind of stuff. So very, very cool. There's also some really interesting things we're going to get to in a little bit. That's just very unique about the way they built this computer. So I'll get to that in a minute. But first, first of all, we're going to talk about the operating system. You can get both Ubuntu 20.04 and Papa West 20.04. Uh, both of those are 64-bit, and those are available for whichever you want to choose and check out. It also comes with, of course, if you're going to have a monster computer, you might as well have a monster CPU and get an AMD third-generation Ryzen Threadripper. And graphics for this, as it gives it four options, and there's actually multiple options, but it comes with four. And this is the uh, GeForce RTX 20 Ti the Quadro RTX 4000, the RTX 5000, the RT RTX 6000, and the RTX 8000. And there's, so you can get whichever one, this can, whatever configuration you want, but this is just insane. So it's very, very cool, but still, you know, a little insane. And you can get up to 256 gigs of quad channel DDR4 RAM, which is another, another notch in the belt of insane up to 64, 62 terabytes of storage, and it has slots for four different NVMe drives that are based on like M.2 PCIe Gen 4 NVMe's. It also has a, a 2.5 SATA drives as well support, supported. It has seven a USB 3.2 Gen, uh, Gen 2 Type-A uh, rear, rear ports. It also has one Type-C, that's 3.2. It also has two RJ45 Ethernet jacks because reasons. And also it has a bunch of other cool stuff, including, you know, it's got like Wi-Fi of the, the AX level of uh, built-in Wi-Fi. And it also has Bluetooth built into it. And it also has a bunch of cool stuff. But I also want to talk about something I think is pretty interesting that wasn't really picked up by like people writing on the articles about it. I didn't even pick it up at it first. And when I wrote the first, the first edition of this article... And it's because it has a custom PSU. Now it's not like super custom in terms of like they built the PSU, but it's a it's a different approach than the standard PSU that you would see normally in a computer. So this P, this PSU's uh, power socket is fully rectangular, which will show the difference between like normal uh, PSUs, which have a kind of a, a a cut on the corners, like that kind of thing. 
Um, but let's just show you the different example. And this is because this is a different socket style uh, PSU. So this is the IEC C19 socket, which is rated at 15 amps, which is 50% more amps than the normal socket of C13, which is 10 amps. And this is kind of used for industrial applications. Its intentions for is the C19. So they, here's a, here's kind of like a difference between the amount of wattage maximum that you can get. So a normal desktop PS, PSU socket can get to 1200 watts max at 120 volts. This has 120 volts at 1800 watts max for the Thaleo Omegas socket. And this is very interesting because uh, it just kind of like explains like how can they power all of this thing? So they use a different, they use an industrial style PSU to do all that, to have the four GPUs built into it. And this is just, just really cool. And they also say that it's ideal for deep learning and scientific computing, which does make sense. But I also want to get one just because, because I want to play with that because it sounds fantastic. Uh, it might be a little bit out of my budget, admittedly, but I really want one. So System76, if you're watching, you know, hint, hint, <laughs> you know, review videos would be great. I think people would like to see a review video. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the Thaleo Mega from System76, I'll have a link to that in the show notes below. Up next in the show is something really interesting that has been reported recently that the CUPS uh, printing system has been forked from Apple. So let's talk about what CUPS is first. Uh, CUPS is a standard-based open-source printing system developed by Apple for macOS and other Unix-like operating systems, including Linux. Now, this is from the official CUPS, well, official-ish, well, we'll get to that in a second, that um, it's it wasn't originally made by Apple. It was acquired by Apple, and then seemingly the person who was creating most of the stuff for CUPS left Apple and is now basically forking it back into their own project. Uh, which is open printing. So first of all, let's talk about the, I guess, the history of it. Apple purchased the source code in 2007, and they also brought in the developer from from that that project, which is Michael Sweet, and he left the project at of from Apple uh, as the lead developer in 2019. And since then, there has only been one commit in 2020 by an Apple engineer for just minor updates. It did include some security fixes and stuff like that, but it was mostly just minor updates. And it appears that the open source CUPS code base is now at a standstill in terms of the one controlled by Apple. So if you look at the actual statistics of all the commits and the code and everything, Michael Sweet, the guy who originally created it and also worked for Apple and then left in 2019, it has done pretty much everything. <laughs> It's like 93% of all the commits of, of like of this of the project are done by Michael Sweet. You'll see like people uh you look at the commits numbers and you'll see like a couple thousand here and there and you look at Michael Sweet's and it's like 400,000 commits. Like it's mostly just Michael Sweet doing this project which is very very impressive. So him leaving Apple and then this new project being created it's not necessarily because you know, it just makes it just makes sense that it would go with him because, well, it is an open source project and he's the main person who develops it. Makes sense that he would fork it into this new open printing thing. So it is technically I'm not sure. It seems like open printing and cups are using like a kind of a similar name because uh, cups is still being used. But open printing is like the new name for the project. And that's the new GitHub project as well. 
so it's 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 pretty interesting to see like how that's going to happen. But it looks like it's really going to be a good thing that this is happening because it's no longer under like what Apple's decides is necessary and that sort of stuff. It can now be done by what Michael Sweet decides is necessary, which he was doing the development anyway. So that sounds good to me. So this version of Cups is being maintained by the Open Printing Organization. It tracks the current Apple Cup sources and includes common changes and bug fixes for the various Linux distributions and other Unix-like operating systems. And there has, since this has been done, there have been 15 fixes and several adjustments to the Open Printing version of Cups. So this is also related to what Michael Sweet has been doing. He's also been working on a thing called the PAPPL, which is a new uh, library for uh, printing stuff. And I think it it might be a replacement for Cups, or it could be like a you know a compatible layer sort of thing for Cups. But I'm pretty sure it's a replacement for Cups. And he started that back in March of this year. And we talked about that. We talked about that on the show as well back then. And uh, so I'm not. Maybe this is kind of like a stopgap between getting PAPPL ready to go. Uh, but I think this is good news overall. So th- this uh, PAPPL is a simple C-based framework library for developing Cups printer applications, which are the recommended replacement for printer drivers. So. This looks very promising, and if you'd like to learn more about this latest news about the cups being forked, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some interesting news related to NVIDIA and the Linux 5.9 kernel. So previously in the show, I talked about Ubuntu's coming with the 5.8, which does relate to this particular topic because the NVIDIA drivers are not currently supporting Linux 5.9. They have said that it will not support it until uh, November, basically. So just a quick quote from NVIDIA. They say that the Linux kernel 5.9 plus is incompatible with current and previous NVIDIA Linux GPU drivers. We advise customers to defer updating to the Linux kernel 5.9 until mid-November when an NVIDIA Linux uh, GPU driver update with kernel 5.9 support is expected to be available. NVIDIA is aware of this, of the impact this will have on customers, and we are working diligently to provide the driver update with kernel 5.9 support as soon as possible. Now, the reason why I talked about the Ubuntu 20.10 having a 5.9 and how this relates, or no, they have 5.8 and how this relates, is because they have the 5.8 and not 5.9, which means it doesn't affect the Ubuntu 20.10 users or anything, or any distro using 5.8, which is a lot of distros at this moment. So mostly it's going to relate to the rolling distros and that sort of stuff. But, you know, it is something worth noting because 5.9 not having support with NVIDIA is uh, not ideal, especially since they've, you know, they've had like eight release candidates that have been made for the 5.9 kernel that NVIDIA could have had time to work on, but didn't. I don't know. Uh, NVIDIA is usually timely on supporting new versions. They aim to have a driver by the end of the kernel release candidates for each new series, but they didn't do it for this time. They, NVIDIA didn't reveal the reason for the delay, uh, maybe because of the uh, intentional change on the Linux kernel side that blocks third-party shims from using GPL-only symbols. Uh, this was actually this this decision to block those shims is an action that was kicked off by a patch sent in by Facebook to the kernel mailing list that would only work with the NVIDIA driver. And they were like, no, no, thank you. Uh, using non-GPL code with GPL symbols has always been against the rules, in fact, uh, though not enforced prior to Linux 5.9. Most proprietary drivers got around that rule by putting a shim between the kernel and the driver. 
Christ- Christoph Helwig wrote a patch that prevents that which uh, Torvalds merged into 5.9 for this release, which in theory could have created this issue, but we don't know yet for sure exactly what it is. So a quote from Christoph Helwig says that we've had a bug in our resolution of GPL modules since day one. That is a module can claim to be GPL licensed and use GPL exports while it also depends on symbols from non-GPL modules. This is used as a circumvention of the GPL exports by using a small shim module using the GPL exports and the other functionality. NVIDIA does say it's going to be about a month or so before the support gets in, so it's not that drastic of a time frame, but it is annoying for those who are having to deal with it. So I wanted to put it in the show to let people know that this is happening. So um, if you're not familiar, NVIDIA is also the only PC graphics vendor that, n- that does not offer any free software graphics drivers for Linux users. That's you know basically Intel and AMD both provide uh, graphics drivers that are open source and uh, freely available and that sort of stuff. And there's and NVIDIA is the only one that doesn't do that. So the Nouveau drivers are an independently created free software driver uh, project that has that NVIDIA has nothing to do with basically. And this unfortunately lacks some features because of all the proprietary aspects. Even the documentation for how stuff works in NVIDIA drivers is proprietary. So. That's another reason why the Nouveau drivers can't be in a feature parity sort of stuff. But the Nouveau drivers are good for a lot of things. But if you need these features like the CUDA features and the OpenCL and that sort of stuff, you're not going to be able to get that from the Nouveau drivers. So just for your information, if you have NVIDIA hardware and you are going to be updating to the 5.9 sometime soon, uh, consider not doing that for at least a month. And then hopefully they will have it done by then. So if you'd like to learn more about this particular announcement, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a distro release from Triskel. This is an uh, open source distribution, but it's also focused on being a free software foundation certified distribution. So it's uh, approved by the FSF or the Free Software Foundation. And it's one of the few distros that is actually approved. Now, Triskel is uh, a, this particular release 9.0 or E. Etionia, Etiona, I don't know, something like that, is a distribution based on Ubuntu. And they take the Ubuntu distribution and then replace or remove things that do not fit the Free Software Foundation approval structure. And in this case, this is based on Ubuntu 1804.5. Yes, 1804.5. Now, Triscal 8 was based on 1604, and Triscal 10 were probably based on 2004, but we don't know when that will happen. But it is worth noting that if you do want to try Triscal 9.0, it is going to have relatively old packages because the day one release has two-year-old packages from uh, Ubuntu 18.04. So just know that in advance if you're interested in checking this out. But this has uh, free software and open source uh, everywhere, so it even uses the uh, GNU Linux Libre kernel. Uh, there's a version of the Ubuntu's 4.15 kernel that doesn't contain any proprietary code. That's what this Libra kernel is, or the Linux Libra kernel is. And it's also a, you know, as I said, 100% free operating system in terms of like the free culture and that sort of stuff. So they do have updates to packages, but, and it includes hardware support, but it's not going to be a full level of hardware support. You're not going to be able to get like the latest and greatest on here. So it isn't for everyone, as a lot of hardware is not supported because of this requirement uh, to you know be open source and free software culture and that sort of stuff. And in some cases, like typically the Wi-Fi hardware won't work as well. 
Uh, and this is just kind of a thing that goes along with, you know, dealing with this because a lot of hardware support is proprietary, unfortunately, and that's just is what it is. So this does have and includes uh, the A browser, which is the default browser based on Firefox. Uh, so it's not Firefox specifically, but this is a fairly up-to-date version of the browser for a browser is based on Firefox 81. And since 82 just came out, so it's pretty close to being a uh, up-to-date version. It also has, you know, all the typical LibreOffice and has uh, VLC and Rhythmbox and that sort of stuff. All of that kind of stuff is available. But keep in mind, they are going to be fairly older packages because of the 1804 base that they're using. And it does come in multiple different editions available in 32-bit and 64-bit because it's based on 1804. I don't think that would be going forward possible to keep it 32-bit, but... You know, they right now you could with the they have the Mate edition, they have a KDE Plasma edition, they have the Triscal Mini version, which uses LXDE, and they have one called Triscal Toast, which is using the Sugar Learning Platform. And they also have a net install image, which is basically a text-based network installer. So you could choose, you know, whatever DE you wanted from that period there and some other stuff. So like that's mostly the the way that the way that they pick it. You can use a net installer to do kind of more of a a custom setup in the same way that the Ubuntu net installer lets you do that as well. So uh, we don't know exactly, you know, when the next release of the 2004 base or if they're going to be upgrading this particular version for that. But just wanted to let you know that this it's cool distribution. And if you've seen it out there, it, it does. It's, it's something that I think is a very interesting idea that they want to make, you know, as, as free self free culture as possible. But there are issues with doing that, unfortunately. So it's kind of just, you know, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm glad that someone's doing it. It's just all the ones that currently exist are fairly out of date. And this is no exception to that. So there are still some issues with the BIOS support and embedded systems like the IME or the uh, PSP from AMD and that kind of stuff. But this is as close as you will get to, uh, you know, an up-to-date version that is free culture based because some of them haven't even updated in like seven years or something. So while this is not the latest and greatest packages and hardware support and all that, it's fairly up to date in comparison to the rest. So if you want to try out a distribution that has that focus and you're, you're okay and comfortable with older packages, then check out Triscal Linux 9.0 and I'll have links to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about a recovery distro called System Rescue CD, except that it's no longer called System Rescue CD. It's now just called System Rescue, and it is the latest release of 7.0, and System Rescue is a recovery distro that is a toolkit that has a bootable medium. You could still use it on a CD, technically, if you, for some reason, have CDE drives and whatever, uh, but this is based on Arch Linux. It has utility highlights of Gparted, FS Archiver, File System Tools, and some other basic tools. It has Midnight Commander built into it. It has net, a bunch of network tools uh, for recovery and that sort of stuff. So this is the this is a distribution similar to the other distributions we talked about last week. So this one is one that's been around for a very long time. And System Rescue CD was originally, uh, I think it's like 16 years ago, something like that long time ago and they've decided to change its name to system rescue with this this release because well 
I they didn't say exactly, but I, I assume it's because CDs are kind of dated and putting it on a specific medium attachment to the name also kind of maybe has an issue where, for example, they, they didn't use uh, System Rescue USB for the new version. They just, you know, chose System Rescue. And that could be because maybe there's another medium in the future that wouldn't work with that or I don't know. But it's just it's uh it's it's good that they're changing the name because it does make people think that this is a very old project. It is technically old in terms of its longevity and its legacy, but the CD always made me go, is this still being made? And now that they have dropped that and had a new release that had in, that shows it like the 7.0 is quite good because it, it updates the Linux kernel to the uh, 5.4.71 LTS kernel. Uh, disk locker package has been added to the, the project and that's used for reading BitLocker encrypted volumes and that sort of stuff. And there's also a lot of other packages that have been added. And I'll have links to the show notes for the, ch- the package list for those changes and that sort of stuff if you want to check that out. But if you are looking for a distro for recovery of your system, then System Rescue might be worth checking out. And also I'll have a link to the, uh, the latest, ep- the previous episode where I talked about two other options as well. If you want to check out those as, as another addition for just another option to check out, I'll have the links to all of those in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Firefox, and that's Firefox 82. This is my favorite browser. I've actually made a video about why it's my favorite browser, or my seven reasons why, in fact. And and I also made another video about the number one reason why it's my favorite browser. And if you'd like to check out both of those, I will have links to both of those videos in the show notes below and in the description and all that. So check those out if you'd like to learn more about why Firefox is awesome. But for this release of Firefox 82, let's talk about what is new. So picture in picture button has been a new look and it's been repositioned to easier be easier to find and easier to use. They've also made a Flexbox, Flexbox based websites layouts load 20% faster, which is great. Flexbox is a CSS kind of style sheet structure that is a nicer way of doing more of a responsive design. If you don't know what that means, it essentially means it will automatically adjust itself based on the size of the window and of the browser viewport, that sort of stuff. So very cool that they've improved that. Also, the restoring a session is 17% quicker, which is really nice. And if you didn't know that Firefox can do it, it can, where you can just go into your settings and your preferences and click to remember this session. And when you do that, it's awesome because the next time you load the browser, it will just pull the tabs back up for you. And you don't have to worry about, oh, I've closed all my tabs. They're all still there. And in fact, when they're there, when they bring them back, they're actually not loaded yet. So they will only be loaded once you hit the next tab. So in some ways, I've heard people just close their entire browser, open it back up, and it's like turned off all the resources being used by all the tabs, except for the ones that you want to currently use, which is an interesting, you know, kind of like life hack sort of thing to get that to be a much better resources. In fact, and Firefox is already already really good resource usage in terms of like comparison to Chromium and Chrome, but this way might be even another way to even optimize it more. So there you go. And also you can now explore new articles when you save a web page to pocket from the Firefox toolbar. They've also made some improvements to their credit card autofilling structure. It's now more accessible with the the card type and the card number in the card editor now available to screen readers, which is really cool. They've also fixed some other screen reader stuff. So they've fixed some features which report paragraphs now correctly report the stuff instead of the lines. Uh, instead of lines, they report paragraphs, which is really nice. And also they've done some bug fixes for the VA API acceleration for WebRTC. Now you'll still need to enable it 
basically in about config. It's sort of enabled by default, but not exactly. It's, it's theorized that right now that Firefox 83 will have it all set up by default. But uh, in addition to the enabling of VA API, you'll have to uh, set some flags to be enabled. Now, right now, there one of them is set by default, it, depending on which version you have. It might not be depending, like if you have the latest version, it should, one of them should be on by default. But if you have 81 still and you still want to use it, it's technically possible, but it's not on by default. And you'll have to flip the other one on. And I'll have that information in the, in the show notes below about what to do and that kind of thing. But anyway, Firefox 82, latest release, just lots of polish and improvements and performance and all that stuff. And I am very excited to have, a, you know, another release of my favorite browser. And that's why I like talking about it on the show because it's such a good browser and multi-account containers is amazing. And if you haven't heard about those, you need to go check out the video that I linked in the show notes talking about that extension for Firefox because it is amazing. Anyway, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tuxedo channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to the DLN store, which you can get to by going to dlnstore.com. The Linux Everywhere t-shirt is a shirt I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know Linux is there, it probably is. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. This show is also a global show, so with people watching all around the world, which is totally amazing, and I realize that Eastern Time is not that helpful for some people, most people, in terms of what I mean by that, so I've provided a time zone converter in the description and the show notes to make it really easy for those to find out what the time the show starts in your time zone. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.